Welcome everybody, this is Sarkolata and I'm an architect and an organizer of the Disrupt Symposium, a five-day virtual event dedicated to the topic of business of architecture. The first edition of Disrupt will take place 1st to the 5th of May at 7 p.m. Central European time and will welcome to stage C-level leaders, partners, directors and founders of practices such as UN Studio, SOM, BIG, Sonetta, Safdi Architects, Zaha Hadid Architects, Gensler, Perkins and Will, Woods Bucket, Arab, to name just a few. The event is sponsored by Graphisoft, creator of Archicad, Chaos, creator of V-Ray, Tunark, Z by HP, Terra DC, and the IE School of Architecture and Design. To check the full speaker lineup and purchase your tickets, go to www.disruptsymposium.com. Today, we gathered for a one-hour roundtable discussion dedicated to the topic of building inclusive, diverse, and talented teams to elevate your architecture practice. Devoted to all of you out there who manage teams, are thinking of growing their teams, or struggle with team retention and recruitment. We are in the people's business after all, and oftentimes managing projects larger than life, we have to rely on our peers. Therefore, how do we create environments that are present and inclusive? We are joined by Vivian Lee, Woods Bagot New York Studio Executive, who is driven by a belief that good design can and should inspire. That way, Vivian encourages her team to balance creative vision with practical solutions to deliver value to the client and end user. We are also being joined by Diana Darling, the co-founder and president of the Architects newspaper, a magazine that serves news and includes reports to a global community of architects, designers, engineers, landscape architects, lighting designers, interior designers, academics, developers, contractors, and other parties interested in the urban environment. And lastly, we have Stephen Drew, the founder of the Architecture Social. The combination of working directly as a hiring manager as well as consultant in the recruitment industry means that Architecture Social has a fresh spin on an old formula by breaking down traditional barriers between companies and creatives, providing a supportive environment to develop professional skills, find new jobs, as well as socialize. So let's start. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Hi. Hello. Mm. I need to have a drink after this, so <laughs> <laughs> my mouth just got dry. <laughs> Vivian, let's start with you. You manage the Woods Bagot office in New York City, as well as uh, you are also the co-chair of the AIA New York Women in Architecture Committee, where you mentor young architects and promote women in leadership and design roles. Tell me what you think is the state of inclusion, especially when it comes down to women in the AAC workplace. Well, first of all, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting, and uh, I'm in a very good company with Diana Darley and Stephen Drew. So, again, I'm really excited to the roundtable discussion. But let me tell you a little bit about in terms of what I've been doing both at AIA New York uh, and at uh, the Woods Bagot. So I've been practicing for 30 years. 
And I've definitely been seeing more women in the in, in the industry, especially the AEC industry, architecture, engineering, construction. Not only women are at the helm of large firms now. So someone like Laura Edelman, who is the partner at SOM. We have Latoya Kim Dam uh, at Moody Nolan, Liz Lieber at Bayer Binder Bell, Kristen Sibylla Datner, and recently Fiona Cousins at Era, all here in New York. Um, but there's also amazing uh, women um, being recognized by design, like Ginny Gang, Annabelle Sildor, Deborah Burke, but also in Europe, like Francine Hubain, uh, Dorothy Mandrup, and of course, the Prisker laureates, Yvonne Farrell and Shelley McNamara. They are just so amazing. I've also seen more women in college and universities um, and deans and chairs of architecture schools, which is great. Uh, there are just too many to name. I, I, I can go on for an hour to name all the names. Um, so what's wonderful to see is this actually a surge of female architects, both from the BIPOC, Latina, and Asian communities as well. So, and the next generation of emerging designers and architects, and that's really important. We're basically building a pipeline. And we have influencers, positive, really positive influencers that advocate for mentorship, such, such as Julia Gamolina, you probably know her, Sarah. Yes. Uh, who has an online publication of Madam Architect, and John Loy, who is the founder of Women Architects Collective. If you haven't checked it out, you should, you should really look her up. I know her whole spiel is about personal branding, uh, which is very helpful. So as a co-chair for the AIA Women in Architecture Community here in New York, um, I've been co-chair for the last four and a half years, and I've definitely seen um, a lot more women uh, being uh, participating in our events. And I'm just like so lucky to see all these incredible women in AEC industry, and I'm I'm learning from them and inspired by all their accomplishments. It, it gets me going. And so at WIA Women in Architecture, our mission is really to promote, elevate, advance women in architecture and those of the allied industries through our programs and events. They are centered around four main pillars. So we our programs are usually based on design leadership, professional development and practice, workplace culture, and advocacy activism. So I think last year we had over 24 events in a year. So that averages out about two events a month. It's we're, we've been really busy. Um, so at the WIA, we just actually had a career day event and they're for high school students from, from underrepresented schools uh, here in New York and the vicinity. So most students um, actually came from diverse ethnic backgrounds and are aspiring first generation going to college and are interested in pursuing a career in architecture, engineering or construction. So we paired them with participating, we um, paired the students with um, female architects, practitioners, from all levels of experience, one to five years, five to 10 years, and 10 to 15 years, and offer three rounds of virtual mentoring sessions um, where they get to ask questions and the mentors share this with the students the process of applying to college, what do architects do, um, and how this architecture has a positive impact on our building environment, and how as designers and architects, we design places and spaces to improve the people, way people live, work, and play. So uh, just a little shout out for the WIA committee. So please check out, you can Google A-I-A-N-Y-W-I-A. You can see all our past programs and events and you get to know all our speakers and learn about our resources that we provide uh, in our monthly community meeting agendas. 
So uh, a little bit about Woods Baggett. So we are a global firm, close to 950. We're probably, you know, getting to a thousand people pretty soon. Um, so Woods Baggett is a large global firm, and we really aim to achieve equity in our studios. So back in March at the International Women's Day, we actually um, had an event. Each studio has a, a, a sort of a local event to um, elevate the women, and we nominate someone in our studio to talk about their accomplishments. Um, so, and we also share as a global firm, we share sort of the, a, a little bit of stats, right? So we get to see how many women are across all our global studios. So as of today, we have, in terms of leadership level at the principles, where women is about um, at 34%. And our target is really to raise that to 50%. So every year when we, we get to promotions, we try to elevate women to slowly get that, to that equity at 50%. But the good news is that we're actively building the pipeline. As of right now, currently we have 42% women as associate principals on track to becoming um, principals versus 33% were male. So, um, and also we are, we're, what month are we now? April, right? So April, we're, we're busy recruiting for summer interns. So we're reaching out to all the schools across um, the uh, Northeast region. And uh, so what we did last year um, was incredibly successful is that we did a blind selection. Uh, when we get the resumes and portfolios, we blacked out the people's names, the name of the schools, if they have any headshots, we, we, you know, we cross that out. So we're reviewing their CVs really solely on the, the students' qualifications and purely on their talent and experience. So it's not just because, oh, you know, it's a he or a she or go to, went to a certain school. It's purely on their work. And, and we were just so proud that at the end of that whole selection, we ended up with six interns and four of them are women. Uh, so that is just uh, a little bit of what we are trying to do to bring more equity into our firm. So I'm very, very optimistic at the direction of our profession. So, and I know many of the firms are doing the same and doing their best to be more inclusive, more diverse, and bring equity in the workplace. Wow. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Steve, did you ever hear about that method? You're a recruiter yourself. To just black out people's names and sex and what school they come from and just basically recruit based on talent? Um, good question. If you saw the door open, I was just because my little dog was worn around just playing with with <laughs> balls at my feet and stuff. Yeah, and you probably on, heard my dog I'm, barking. I'm on the live stream, so <laughs> Sorry I've, shut, I've, shut the, I've shut the door. Um, it's very different between the public and the private sector in architecture. And I think that it's 2022. Right. And I think that all larger, small, medium companies were all kind of waking up to the reality that it's not just talking about the projects anymore. It's not just about salaries. And actually, mm. we have to think about accommodating people and, and being inclusive in the true sense. So I have seen this happen, but I think it's less about, oh, we need to do that now. In the public sector, you might find that certain, um, certain councils may ask for he and she to be removed from the recruitment process. But what you tend to see now in the private sector is that companies are slowly realizing that actually we need to do all this stuff because you're going to get the most awesome people and they're going to stay for longer. I mean, the reality is if you look after staff in the true inclusive way, and that takes time, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. 
And you can't just say, you know, it doesn't work to do the MD just because we're going to be more inclusive and that's it. Mm -hmm. You've got to really work at it. And like Vivian says, it takes time and, and you know, it's it's little by little and, 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 and half of it's a process and half of it is going along with your existing staff as well as potentially winning over staff as well. So super important. I do see people doing it in the public sector, Sarah, mm -hmm. but more so in the private. To me, it's always hard though, having worked in recruitment to remove all the maybe references on the CV. And I, I, to me, that's not the most important part of the process. We should be talking about looking after people and keeping them longer. And recruitment's expensive, right? And actually, you can think at first, oh, oh, it's all this stuff that people are talking about. Is it going to cost the business money? And is it going to be a lot of work? Well, guess what? If you don't do it, if you don't start doing it, you're going to lose people and you're going to have to pay for recruitment consultants. Or you're going to have to, you're going to, have to work on those projects with less people. And I think that actually solving these problems, guess what happens? People love coming to work. Somehow sick days are reducing and recruitment's easier and you get people who actually want to work at the company who are really excited to apply so that when you go further down the process you don't realize that you're losing someone in seven months because oh they're just going somewhere it's not the right fit so you know it takes a bit of time definitely worth it if you want to have longer staff work with you um, who want to come to the office and offer a lot of value then you gotta you gotta start going through this process. So it's not as simple as just um, we're going to be uh, more inclusive in the recruitment process. It's like, what's the DNA of the company? What can we do on today? And then once you once you work on all that, well, guess what? The recruitment process will be more inclusive because you're much more of an inclusive company. So it's not as simple as just slapping it on the website that we're inclusive. You've got to really go, go get into the DNA of what that is. And how can you help your current staff? How can you get them excited how can you know you bring the culture um people's home cultures into it into the office as well and how can people from different backgrounds really get the most out of the projects and how are they gonna have a bit of fun in the office and that's what we all want we were talking about it earlier we don't want working dull places people want to be in exciting places work on awesome projects and also be challenged with their beliefs as well and that's part of the fun process so we, I will keep you up to date, Sarah, on how it goes. But 2022, we've got to get with the times, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I love how you speak about actually these, uh, this process of becoming more inclusive. Can you give some uh, ideas or examples that maybe you've seen already in different case studies of how other businesses are implementing that? I'm curious good. to know. Yeah, good question. It's not a case of putting like a fruit bowl over <laughs> there and, and, and like some sofas and saying look at us we're inclusive look at our team's page at all people's backgrounds i think like where a few ways that we don't talk about it is like true inclusivity is also um accepting where people are in their personal life as well as professional life so for example being accommodating on when people can start work it sounds like that might just be a functionary but it's actually true inclusivity because guess what if you've got an awesome kick-ass architect who's also you know a single parent or perhaps they're busy with kids and, and work like balance and actually being accommodating on that you're going to get someone who's amazing talent 
And, uh, you know, even flexibility of working, you might, some people in the audience be like, oh, I'm bored about talking about this with coronavirus and all this stuff. But years ago, I used to meet these awesome architects who couldn't get a job because they couldn't work in the office five days a week. So actually, you know, having some terms of flexibility is massively inclusive. And that's just a very functional level. But I think it's also about having people at different points in their careers talking. Uh, you know, I know many architecture practices who encourage their students to start and talk together. So I've seen many, many, many examples of it, but also celebrating people's heritage. And also, you know, it's not just about the staff, but it's also about the projects where you work and getting involved in communities. So there's like the inwards aspect and then the outwards aspect. And we talked earlier, Sarah, about Acre Larry, and they're setting up internally the Aquilary Academy. And so uh, that's basically allowing people who don't conform to the traditional route of part one and part two architectural education in the UK, but allowing people in the community to work in the office and get involved. And that's, that's inclusive in one sense, and that's in a local area. So they're actually improving and getting people in the borough next to where the office is to come and have an insight into an architecture career that that the you know a university courses you can't really do unless you're in this privileged position and that's another thing just before we, we move on the question there's also there's you know economic exclusivity uh you know e inclusivity as well because architecture is getting more and more expensive to study you know how can how can how can you get people from different backgrounds all the time who want to be an architect it's like can people actually afford it anymore you know it's like i did a study in the UK and it's something like 90,000 pounds to do the five years of architecture and live in accommodation and eat and sleep and do all that stuff while you're studying. So, you know, we have to start thinking about how can we support people, include them into architecture and get past these barriers. So few examples, but as well as that, you see architecture practices now um, adopting the apprentice scheme in the UK, which is awesome, which means that people can work part time as well as study so that people mm -hmm. don't come out of the, you know, de uh, graduate with £80,000 of debt. So there's a few examples that I can think of. And I encourage everyone to start looking into the apprentice scheme. If you're an employer, have a think about that as well. How can we continue to get people interested in architecture? from backgrounds which might be the non-traditional route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think one thing that you said mentioned, um, and Stephen, that you mentioned is um, about um, the schedule, right? <clears throat> Accommodating yeah. people's schedules. Like, you know, when we interview now, most people are asking us, do you have flexible hours? And the answer mm -hmm. is, yes, we do. Um, we are asking people to work um, uh, three days a week in the to come to the studio three days a week and two days are flexible and the three days is also flexible really depending on the project needs and um, so the team will decide which three days they want to come in to do more collaboration work and then the other two days are flexible so it's really I think it just depends on where you are um, you know I'm here in New York City I have a small office in Texas People in Texas have been going in for months, probably a year. In New York, we cannot get a rhythm into an office at this point. <laughs> you know, we have about 20 employees. They all used to be live in New York City. Now then eight live in New York City. 
the rest live someplace else in the country. Um, you know, it's interesting. Yesterday, um, we had our Kassad conference uh, in New York. It, it was very, very difficult to drive an audience. Um, and what I heard from a lot of manufacturers, they're like, they're trying to make um, appointments with firms. Can I come in and show you something? Can we have a meeting? And they're like, oh, no, no, I don't live in New York anymore. I live in Oklahoma or I live in Alaska. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, how do we reach this? How do we how are we going to move forward and try to make something happen? It can't all be virtual, but maybe it is all going to be virtual. I don't know. Um so I'm now like, okay, now these firms are, is this temporary? Are they going to force them to come back at some point? <laughs> What's going on here? But, you know, I was able to get my team, which a lot of people came up from Texas. They've been going out to dinner every night, walking to Times Square, trying to create a bond when, you know, for two years, nobody had ever met before. So that's been really important and really nice. And I was in uh, Woods Baggett's um, office last week, and I saw how beautiful it was. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to get my office together and get people coming back because it felt so good to be in this beautiful office where there were people working. So um, and I want that for my team as well, mm -hmm. who've been kind of going into the office. But that's just, you know, workplace, what's going on with workplace. Um and one of the things I see, you know, also being from New York City versus and trying to hire in New York City versus hiring remotely uh, and having an office in Texas, which is a different socioeconomic um, uh, position uh, in New York City, you know, benefits are higher, people's uh, cost of living is higher um, and the education of the people that you see coming to live in New York City, you know, they went to Harvard or they went to Yale or they went to Columbia or, you know, they're coming in from schools all across Europe. And in New York City, most of my marketing and back end is there. I mean, in Texas. And, you know, they went to UT Austin or they didn't go to these uh, the schools that have all these big names. But they are great, you know, dedicated workers. And so we're mixing these two cultures Mm -hmm. uh, together. And um, we have a lot of diversity. We've had people from Nepal that work for us, people from Af Afghanistan. And I love that because it just feels so great to have um, people from all these different cultures that come in and support media and architecture. And they, they um, you know, want to work their way up. They want to learn a lot of different things. And it's a very dedicated workforce. You know, but I have a different mandate. You know, I'm a media company. It's not the same as hiring an architecture firm. But um, we do have a very active job board, I want to say. We, we launched our, relaunched our job board uh, last January. And, um, you know, I use that also as a tool to see what's happening in the, in the job landscape. And last month, it sort of fell off. And it was like, oh, my God, what's going on? You know, the variants coming up. People are not going to be hiring. And it was just a blip. The first week of April, it was like the gates, the floodgates opened. And we started getting a lot more job postings. So I was like, Phew. 
I think it's continuing. There's a lot of work out there. People are looking and hiring, as you guys know, as Lavinia knows, it's very hard to find um, employees. Right now, it's a big demand in the architecture firms. So um, that's what, uh, that's, you know, some of the ideas that I have about hiring and running a business. Mm -hmm. And I think that you just um, kind of started a really interesting topic because it's true. It's really hard to find uh, really good quality talent. And I think that happens globally because I was even speaking to a potential client, a firm in Dubai last week, and they had a very similar situation where they want to grow and expand, but it's very hard to find the right type of people for the positions. And so um, kind of going back to Stephen, uh, I'm really interested from your perspective, basically, as a professional recruiter, what do you think is important to take away from hiring within the firms and recruiters, recruitment, but also retaining your staff and your talent mm. within the office? And, and especially, you know, this question kind of relating to uh, how fragile our industry is with, you know, with pandemics, with economic situations, even war related. Um, you know, right now in Central Europe, a lot of practices withdrew their projects from Russia. And that has a tremendous impact on the economic state of these firms. And I'm sure um, that, you know, some might struggle with, with again, uh, you know, probably running their businesses or whatnot, uh, that can affect teams and it can affect, you know, uh, keeping talent in. So those kind of um, external factors, they always affect our businesses, uh, architecture businesses, they're very fragile to that. Um, so how, how do you see that, Steve, in respect of the sort of... Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'll I'll kind of I'll jump in, especially the first question with regards to Ukraine and Russia. Obviously, it's awful situation. Haven't really seen that affect much of the work though in London. It feels like business as usual, and I don't I don't know a lot of clients that particularly work in the Russia. You know, have a huge um, market which which is affected by by Russia. It tends to be maybe some of the larger practices. So with it being business as usual, as Di as Diana said, the job board. Everyone's looking right now. And that's why, so employers who are listening, this is why inclusivity and diversity is more important than ever, because guess what? This is what in recruitment is called the candidate's market, okay? A talented person who's an asset to a company right now has total choice on where they want to hire. They've got people saying, join me, join me. They also got jobs <laughs> everywhere, everything <laughs> saturated. And I always laugh because, and then Danny, you tell me if you think this as well, but when you read these jobs, these job descriptions which are posted and they're written in this top-down view towards like employees like we are looking for a senior architect who must have eight years experience must have this must have that must have this must have that and by the end i'm like exhausted you know i'm just like oh i, I don't even want to learn that when it's, it's it's crazy because when people are looking they don't want to look at that they want to talk about what it's like to work there they want something relatable so yeah, if you write yeah. in an ad and you say like would you like to be included in design making decisions at a practice which is working on interesting projects? Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. I've been bored working at my cubicle for a while. And the idea of where I work is like a cake day. And that's inclusivity. But that's not good enough anymore. And so these ads need to be relatable. And the point is they're not going to get anywhere because people are thinking about their current situations. And right now, if I was a professional, and what I speak to a lot of people, it's about moving on from their current situation. So if an architecture practice is like set in the old ways and you work until nine o'clock and you don't even know really the guy next to you and 
down there's another team altogether. Well, that's kind of a boring existence, right? You want to work in an office which is interesting, vibrant, has stuff happening. And I think there's an art form to that. So these are the companies that are doing really well right now in what's called the candidate-driven market. They're not writing these ads, which are long lists. They're talking about, guess what we did today? We did like a sports race. So we helped the charity or, or we've got a really interesting project with the part ones being involved. It doesn't need to be like constantly doing events outwards. I mean, of course, it's nice to be involved in the community and do that stuff. But just showing what it's like to work in these places, I think is super important. And everyone's online to one extent. And we do like to have office and go to places in person so why not celebrate the office talk about stuff talk about the new starter how was your week Are you just getting qualified as an architect okay great tell us how was that experience is what project are you working on what mistakes do we make we're so scared to talk about mistakes all the time and actually we want to work in an environment which is human i make mistakes all the time and i think that the more you expose yourself the more inclusive it is and more people will apply and that's really how you win in this market. And the companies which do not do that, don't really talk about the office, don't like to talk about the hours they work, not honest about current situations, and they're not looking to develop this, they're at the bottom of the pile. No one was speaking about I have to go back and company. look at these job descriptions. I have to tell you, that's not something I normally do. <laughs> <laughs> I just like see what revenue is coming in. I'm not like looking at the yeah, job. Yeah, but you, you, you laughed when I, when, I, when I said that because you ran a job board, right? I always amazed when people go, no one's applied to my job. And you read it and it's like the biggest list. Doesn't talk about the company. Doesn't talk about the culture. Doesn't talk about really the benefits. And they go, but no one's applied. My, of course. Who wants to work that? No one. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I have to look at that for my own job postings, but I want to get back to something else because you talk about people leaving in seven months. You know, when I, before I started uh, the Architects newspaper 20 years ago, I changed jobs every three years. That for 20 years, I changed jobs every three years. That just felt like that was my rhythm. I got bored. I wanted something else. I wanted to, you know, step up. Uh, so, you know, now then I saw something, I'm a big TikTok person. I saw some, this recruiter on TikTok saying people, people don't stay any longer than two years at a job. So forget thinking mm -hmm. you're going to have somebody stay here five, 10 years. You have that, you're really lucky. And, um, I have found that, you know, I've had some people leave recently. They were here for five years and they're like, Diana, I just want to try something else. And I'm like, I understand I did yeah. that myself. So I understand yeah, yeah. it's really hard to lose those people. I don't think there's a way that you can retain them. Mm, well, the, the point, and, and it's interesting, but why not set that as a challenge, right? If you're just going to go, oh, people are going to leave anyways, then, you know, you know. No, you're no, not no. Be... I say I try to, I think about that and try to develop that, um, you know, an environment where people want to stay. But yeah. um, they're getting poached off LinkedIn. You know, there's just so many ways to find employees and, and, and snag I've, them I've, from you. If you've got to – look, I'm sure it, and it's different in all industries, but you're right. There's some people I want to move around. I did the same thing. I worked in one place for one year, and then I set up my own business, which is kind of like the worst, you know, this is the work somewhere, and then set up a rival business. So, <laughs> hey, I've done it myself. I've also found myself thinking, oh, I'll just work somewhere for a few months. And then I was there for four years. 
And and you're right. You can't beat yourself up if people go. Then there's a, but it just makes sense from a business point of view. Because I know I charge clients. Recruitment's not cheap. It's really expensive. <laughs> and yes, and yes. so, you know, and I send these bills out. And the reality is I say to people is try not to use me. I mean, the more <laughs> you deal with this, the more you hit this problem head on, the less you'll be paying me. And that's fine. And uh, at first I was like, oh, I shouldn't really be saying that because I might put myself out of a job. But actually, in architecture, there's so much you work. You know, to do. it's not going to change. You know, it's not, not that quickly. No, not that quickly. It's hard to change. It's hard to change a, a culture. It is. Um, yeah. Even well, if put you it have- this way: if if you manage to get everyone, whoever works for you, to stay an extra two months, I wonder how much that would save on the bottom line. You know. Hmm. But it's a lot about. Um, it's, it's about keeping the culture, right? The workplace culture. And um, so when, when we went uh, into the pandemic, this is um, like early 2020, we actually had a roundtable discussion with a lot of our workplace interior clients. And um, we wanted to know, like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, because there were our clients and we, we do space. I mean, most of at that time, everyone was working remotely. And I think there was a lot of discussion about like, Oh, what about, you know, it's about the culture. You know, we need to bring people. You don't have that water cooler chat anymore or just chance encounters. You know, you, you know, you kind of like pass by someone. It's like, hey, you know, I know this thing is going on. Have you looked into that? You know, kind of lose that. And um, but but I think, you know, coming back, you know, we really need to engage uh, our teams. Um, and just last night, we, we actually had to say that we had our spring soiree because we didn't we didn't have a Christmas party because of the COVID. So we decided to push it out, and uh, and it was a gorgeous day, and we we had a great time, and it was just so nice to see people coming together face to face and getting to know each other, um, talking about their work, talking about their you know their personal life, what they're doing. You know, we're now talking about doing a bowling night or karaoke night. I think you know. It, when you come to a place, it's not just about the work, right? It's about the people you work with and the things that you do. And uh, it's definitely, I think, um, it's also being more inclusive uh, that way. And uh, it's not just about work, work, work anymore. Have a little fun, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, just to add to that, I think it's so interesting what you say, because it's true. If people constantly leaving, then, you know, that like rich tapestry about what is this company's culture, what is Woods Bagot, basically yeah. when these People go, it kind of goes out the door, doesn't it? And yeah. I think that a company can have that existential crisis. And I know I've been there building a business, especially at the start, key member leaves and you're like, wow, kind of the company's going at the moment. So I think that that's a really important part you mentioned, Vivian. Well, you know, being part of a small business over 20 years, I you do have those moments where you're like, oh my God, how are we going <laughs> to do this? What are we yeah. going to do and after a while you're just like you know what right different team we're gonna be grateful yeah, yeah. For whoever comes in and it changes and then somebody mm-hmm. else comes in and they've got great talent they bring new um new um ideas that they have and it changes and you just have to be flexible because that mm-hmm. is what will happen it will mm-hmm. definitely change you have to be flexible. It's you can't hold on to what it the culture always is. Even if you set a culture, you're trying to set a culture, people change the culture by their personalities that come in. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just have Absolutely. people that come in and they're people, you know, they're a people person, 
They're very upbeat and um, people gravitate towards them. And so you think about skills, just bringing that type of person into your culture or into your mm. company is amazing to have that mm. come in because that, um, um, you know, also helps bond and helps teammates uh, bond with the company, knowing that there's people like that, that they can interact with. Um, so yeah, it takes all kinds of, uh, of, uh, it's not just the, the company or the management at the top. It's, you know, it is helping people understand at the bottom, how much they're appreciated and how much they bring to the table in an Mm -hmm. organization. I was wondering, because I think that that topic of topic culture, of uh, uh, culture in the office and office culture is really important. Um, and I'm always thinking about the sort of more toxic environments that perhaps I experienced in the past when I worked in places, you know, and I certainly have a, a friend now who was sharing that in one of the offices she works with, there is a conflict between two managers and it really radiates mm. onto the staff um, such that it's unpleasant to be there, even though, you know, no one really has an, an, uh, maybe an attitude towards you directly. It's just really hard and, and, and weird to be in this environment. And I always think about how do you, you know, how do you in an office place manage conflict and sort of make everyone feel comfortable, even if something like this um, happens, which is a very human thing, of course. So do you guys have some advice on that? I think we all want to do the best work to get the best results, and um, and I think um, I think we all need to recognize our own uh, abilities uh, to do great work um, by really engaging um, the talent of others to do the great work. You know, I, I think just the collaboration is very important, and uh, I think we if we all are in the same page in in terms of the end result, maybe that will mitigate some of the conflicts. So, you know, you, ha- you have a target, you have, you know, a team approach. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, the, uh, you know, we all have different personalities and you know, sometimes, you know, some people get along, some people, you know, better with others. Uh, some, there are some of those, you know, people, uh, person that are just like right in the room. And, but I, I think everyone, um, everyone contributes, right. To eventually to doing a great project. And I think the target is, to focus on that. Yeah. You know, I'm a very passionate person and, um, I, uh, I'm trying to think where I was going to go with that. I'm a very passionate person and people who might be watching this that may have worked for me before I'm, I, you know, I drive hard and I try to get, you know, you don't get where you're, where we're at by not having passion about it and trying to keep everybody, going in the same direction. Um, there was something else I was going to say about that, but um, I try to take myself out of being physically present a lot of times. You know, you as the president, you sometimes, people just need to be with their, with their peers. Like, for instance, I have all these people in New York right now they're going out to dinner, they're doing whatever. I don't want to be there. They don't want me there. So <laughs> I like, okay, great. You guys all walked from 24th street to 42nd street and you went to Times Square together. You bonded, you had that great experience. I'm so happy that you did that. 
I mean, they didn't ask me to come, but a lot of times as a president or the, you know, upper management, they don't want you around. So allow them to have those experiences together um, so that, uh, you know, they can complain and, and talk about what they need to talk about and figure it out. Um, so that's one thing I've learned. You know, I used to, sometimes I'm like, you mean that happened in the office? How did that happen? I'm there every day. How could that have happened? I didn't see it. Um, and I don't think I'm a naive person, but you know, there's just so much that happens in an office environment. You know, and we're a small office. I can't imagine. I mean, I used to be in big environments. I worked for the Gap. I worked in these big environments. But um, now then, even in a small environment, you're just like, wow, I didn't realize that was even going on. Mm. And I have to figure out how to make it better. <laughs> Certainly. I think that communication is important. And probably having those boundaries that you're talking about, Diana, that, you know, um, maybe if there is like a management issue to be held or uh, solved within that group and not be passed on to employees or people that, you know, are being managed uh, and things like that. So keeping those distances and self-awareness <laughs> in the work environment, I think is also very important. Um, but Diana, I also uh, wanted to ask you because um, through obviously Architects newspaper, you guys cover so many topics and there is uh, a lot of different news and a lot of different uh, architectural things being discussed. And I think that you probably have a more of a bird's eye, eagle's eye view uh, perspective onto that topic of inclusion diversity, which also is changing a lot if it comes to women, if it comes to also um, ethnicities. Um, you know, we recently see more and more media covering and speaking of uh, people of color being architects. And, and I, I love seeing that, but I'm always thinking, why now? I mean, you know, it's, it's a topic so important uh, that we should be talking about this already for years. And, and now, now, thank God, of course, um, but it just feels somehow late, you know, in my heart, it feels late. So where do you think we still lack really as an industry? And what does the industry need to succeed in regards to inclusion? Um, equality, diversity, and equity? Well, I think, you know, sometimes it's um, like, for instance, you know, I had this event yesterday and I felt like it was a little bit more diverse than what I've seen in the past. And it's also people maybe over the past two years allowing themselves to be part of this community, right? They may have felt excluded from this community with everything that has gone on. Uh, now then they see themselves represented with other people, you know, being out there, maybe they're in a sales position at a manufacturer um, or they, um, you know, with the whole diversity uh, emphasis in firms, they see themselves reflected more in these firms. So if I don't know if you, I mean, Vivian was at this event. I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm always trying to pay particular attention. You know, architecture and manufacturing, the manufacturers that are out there, it is a male-based, it is male. Yeah, unfortunately. Right, it is. And um, so it's taking ownership that I, I belong here. I'm going to be here. I'm going to participate. And I feel like that's happening more. I mean, it's not, it's a long way to go um, in terms of like, oh, it's 50-50 or, you know, it really does look like a mixed, mixed 
crowd. Um, but I think it's it's changing and it's getting there, and it's nice to see that um, that happening. Well, I think at the uh, at the event yesterday, uh, Diana, and congratulations by the way, it was great the Fasas Plus conference, and uh, I actually thought um, the the panelists that you have invited were very inclusive, and there's there's one that I really enjoyed with uh, two consultants um, uh, that are female, and they were just geeking out on details. And I love that, you know, women to talk about tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, yeah, Sarah and... Um, Lisa, and Lisa from um, Eckersley, uh, Eckersley... Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, and I, I actually, after the event, I went out to them and I just thought you guys were great. Um, I think there there are more women, and I think also that the your uh, um, uh, your concluding panel um, there was a young lady from GMS that talked about right, uh, right. yeah, and you know there there are women out there, and I think we just need to look harder, and I think companies need to also um, promote and elevate and really provide the platform for for the women to step up. And um, and uh, and elevate them, and uh, and you know you, you you always hear how women get promoted in achievement, not potential. And I think it needs to change. I think companies need to recognize that you know there's a lot of potential uh, mm-hmm. in, in what women can bring to the industry, and it's not just what we have done, it's but what we can do. And then more and more now across the board. And and I attend a lot of conferences, and and I organize talks myself, and we always try to be very inclusive. And, you know, if you look hard enough, they are there, you know, they are there. So I think everyone is a, it's a, um, a collective effort from everyone in the industry to bring more inclusivity and diversity into our profession. Yeah. And you do, I mean, we're putting conferences together all the time and you really, really have to push. I mean, my two guys that program, they're guys. And I'm like, guys, look at all this, this board here, the, the, you know, there's no women, You've got to go and you've got to push back and you got to say they can't participate if there's not a woman or somebody of color. You know, we really you really have to push. I mean, you still have to push to say you've got to find somebody else to come on this. It can't just be that way. There's got to be somebody somewhere. <laughs> I really like what you said, actually, Vivian, about sort of like that kind of taking ownership and uh, your own responsibility and I think that it's something that perhaps um, maybe not just women or uh, people that normally are perhaps not that included <laughs> in the in the architecture work environment um, struggle with. I think that perhaps within when you're getting finding a job and you're looking for the right office environment to join as well, you might feel um, like you know what what's it, what what can I do. To be a part of this, to add value, how can I, um, you know, how can I really take ownership of that process? And so, I think I wanted to ask you, Stephen, like, how do you think people actually can, when they're looking for the right environment to join, um, how they they can still feel that the ball is in their court, that they're not just being judged on their skills, but they have a, a say, for example, of, you know, trying to match the work environment with their value or with the price that they're looking to be paid for their work, etc. Mm, well, I think interviews are especially the best time to do it. I mean, I remember when I was a junior architect trying to get to get jobs, 
you know, the idea of an interview is really scary. It's like, you dare not speak unless you're spoken to. And I would be like, oh, you know, and then you'd, you, I was like, really like, if I got a job offer or something, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so grateful. Well, you, it's still yes. important to have that respect, but it's also okay to ask really good questions. And especially when in an interview, you know, when people go, have you any questions at the end? The interviewer is saying to the person, yeah. have you got any questions? Then you should have loads of questions. I'm always amazed when someone goes, nope. And I'm like, because this is a perfect uh, perfect time to kind yeah. of gauge the, the, the culture, the environment, the opportunity. And you can really get down to it quick, you know, just to, like, so how long have you worked for a year for? Or I always find it interesting to say, what do you enjoy most about working at this company? And they'll put people on the spot. And if they don't really have a good answer to tell you, well, that kind of says to me that, maybe there's something there and it's it's a perfect time to think about you could talk about the projects talk about the company culture how long do people typically work here you know doing this is there time to develop i mean what kind what reba stages to work on i mean or you could talk about have you thought about inclusivity and diversity you know what what is the office culture like in your opinion just ask them dead on it's like it's okay people will not go like how dare you ask and actually, if, and if they and, it, and if they if, if they are um, defensive about answering the question, and that gives you an insight of what their culture's like. We so, are actually getting a lot of those questions when we do interviews. Um, the good. candidates would be asking that, and and one question that we actually ask the candidates, and I think it's a great way um, to be more inclusive and to understand. I mean, this against a collaboration is I, I ask them, what can we do? to make you successful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're, they're taken aback, right? It's like, oh, I never thought about that, right? Because we are yeah. we are here for them to do the best work they can. So what instead of saying, what can, what can you do for me? Is what can we what can we do to make you to be successful? And I think that is a great way to turn the table around and be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Right, I agree with that. Especially if you're hiring, you know, a young person that's just come out of college. You know, the first, I would say six months, they just have to learn how to like learn how to work. You know, they have not ever been <laughs> yeah, in this yeah. environment. It's like, what does that mean to work? What am, what am I doing? What does that feel like? And, um, you know, when you uh, start out in college, a lot of those, they offer courses like, what am I, how do I go to college? Right. What am I supposed to do in college? But, you know, one of the things is how do I work? Um, and uh, you're right. Yeah. Like, and if they don't ask a question, then, you know, from my point of view, it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, you need to have some questions lined up. Anything. Ask anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just Something. so that it shows you've got some interest and, in, uh, you know, it makes you stand out in a, a more unique way. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I think a lot of times they don't because of fear, maybe a certain level of desperation. But I think Mm -hmm. that right now, if there is actually a need for for talent, um, perhaps that will change more and more and people will be searching for the perfect uh, job opportunity for themselves. And of course that changes, but I think in the, when you're young, you're certainly a little bit more intimidated by interviews, just like Steven said. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I want to get back to this idea that you're going to find the perfect thing because nothing's perfect, not is it? Perfect thing. There's yeah. like this opportunity has been presented to me for a reason, and you're going to learn something, whether it's the perfect thing or not. You're going to learn something, good and bad, 
Um, there's no perfect office. When I joined the Gap, I thought, oh my God, if I could just work for the Gap, this would be the <laughs> pinnacle. And I thought, well, you know, for two or three years, I was like, oh, they're amazing. There's all this, there's all that. And then, uh, you know, at the end, it was like, oh, I saw their, you know, inside their closet. And it wasn't perfect at the end, but I learned a lot. And I learned that, you know, I don't want to work in corporate America anymore. <laughs> Yeah. But, um, you know, there, there's no perfect job. There's opportunities. Mm -hmm. And about opportunities, um, how do you think people um, in the sort of more corporate setting, in the office environment, should um, act to actually be more successful or seek opportunities? Um, I always wonder, you know, what is the sort of attitude um, of a person that, that can advance quickly in an office setting. Mm. I mean, just quick, quick thought on that. I always find that, and I've done it myself, when you're an employee, you can get stuck in your own world. My employers, you know, not thinking of me and not that. Well, having been an employer, the reality mm. is you're just busy with stuff and we're not mind readers on both sides. So I think the main point you said is asking can we have a minute to talk about this? Can we talk about this? This is important to me. As long as you're respectful, even if the employer is busy, they'll go, thanks for flagging that up. You go, look, I know you're busy now, but can we just get 20 minutes or 10 minutes in the diary, you know, whenever you want? And then establishing that, because then it's a different question or a different scenario if you've tried to communicate to your employer, but they're not listening. But if you do that, nine times out of 10, an employer, in my opinion, it's just busy. They do want to keep you, but they're not aware of everything that's happening in your world as well. So you have to make that clear. It's not fair to the employer to say, look, I've been here for a year and nothing's happened. And the first thing I'd say is, did you try to have that conversation? No. You know, it, it's, I, mm. I didn't feel, I, did, I didn't. And I'm like, well, that's your responsibility as well. So either an employee or an employer have to take accountability, have to talk about things. And it's OK to talk about things because we're professionals. It's OK to talk about salaries. But just bear in mind that whatever salary you have, you have to have value to the business. And if you're adding a value to the business, chances are you will be rewarded with that salary. But have conversations which are, you know, uh, basically help the business grow and help you grow. And if there's an outcome that works both ways, then that's the perfect scenario. I, I absolutely agree with you, Stephen. Um, communication is so important because a lot of times if they don't say something, how do we know, right? So mm. um, at Woods Bag in the New York studio, we actually, for all the principals, we have allocated a time slot in the week that's we just keep it open. Like we don't we don't schedule anything. We keep it open and it's it's scattered throughout the, the diary, right? So someone is open Thursdays from three to four. I'm open, you know, Tuesdays from you know nine to ten. And our, you know, basically our teams can go, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna book that time slot with Vivian to talk about, hey, you know, I have this great idea, or I have an issue about this, or you know, maybe I need to start thinking about my promotion. So it's free. And I think, you know, we have to set it up so that people feel comfortable. They don't have to ask where it, it's already there. We nice. make ourselves um, available. And I think that's very important, um, especially, if, um, 
you know, to be inclusive, right? So it's not like, oh, I'm gonna go ask, you know, you know make a request, whatever. It's like we're we're open. I mean, it, you know, it's uh, our office is it's uh, we have an open office. You can hear people talk, and um, but I think also to, to set the time aside already so people feel comfortable. I go, okay, I'm not bothering them. They already had that time open. Mm. Sure, that's a good idea. Yeah. And how about no, like having that. like a sort of um, a journey of success set up? Do you guys do that in the offices? Or have you heard of that? For example, you know, like natural progression and how do you advance and where the promotion comes? What do you need to do for that? How much experience do you need? Or is that is that sort of set or it is or it's very organic? I think uh, what's value we do we have our our pod reviews is uh, our basically basically it's our, our performance review every year, and then there are certain questions that we ask, and I think that's how people. I wouldn't say it's a checklist, but it's basically a, a roadmap. You know where you need to get to. Like okay, um, you know you want to become an associate. Like what are the, some of the things we're looking for in an associate? What are some of the qualities? Do that person exhibit leadership or uh, have the initiative to go out and you know, he or she collaborative. Um, so yeah, there, because a lot of times, especially for younger um, 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 architects and designers coming out, they don't, they don't know. It's like, I, am I just keep working? So every year we check in to make sure that, okay, are you following this path? You know, what do you want to do? And we make sure that he or she is doing the work that he or she wants to do. Like maybe someone said, oh, I don't want to do competitions anymore. I want to do more construction, right? So, and when a project opportunity comes up, we'll make sure that we we allocate the the um, the the spot for that person who's interested. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's uh, the opportunity. It's also again, it's about asking. So, if someone wants to do certain things, is not happy of what he or she is doing, simply ask. It's very simple. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm as a small firm, um, not having the resources to set those things up, um, you know, as Stephen said, you're just like trying to run this business, trying to get money in the door, trying to keep uh, things going. And um, I, I am and over the years of running a business, you know, my emphasis now has been more on paying attention to the employee and trying to make sure, okay, that we're talking to them at least every quarter. I, I like to talk to people a lot more than it can't be once a year for us. It's got to be like, mm -hmm. how are they feeling this quarter? What's going on with them? Checking in um, and making sure my managers know that we've got to check in and they've got to, you know, that's the responsibility for them to do and then get back to, to me and HR and figure out, okay, what's going on here. Um, but um, oh, there was some another thought I had. Anyway, yeah, I feel like it, as a small business, it's really hard to have those kinds of things in place. I mean, I felt it's you know I've tried on different occasions, but you never have the resources to put those things really in place and to really stick to a schedule to make them happen. I don't know, Stephen. You probably work with small firms as well. I don't know yeah. if you see those kinds of things happening. It does. And, and every practice and every company, there are different things and we're all humans and, you know, and you've got different qualities of different leaderships and different setups of the companies. And I think you're right. And but you can't expect every business. Yeah, maybe things aren't always organized in the diary, but, you know, as an employee, take that upon yourself to bring it up to the employer 
And then, you know, they probably welcome that scenario. As you said, you're busy running around. If someone says, look, I know you're busy. First thing, you can, and you've been respectful when you do this. And you say, look, I know you're busy, but let's put a little bit of time in the diary. So we're solving that problem then. When you've got a minute, just 10 minutes, nothing longer, let me know. Oh, yeah, I can do it on Tuesday. So the whole problem is solved. But what I tend to find people go in this downward spiral in this in the, their head of going like, person doesn't like me, haven't spoken for a while. <laughs> and then they leave. They go, I'm quitting. And you're like, no. The employee's like, no, don't. can we have that conversation now? And by then it's too late. People go on yeah. this thing. They go, I've already committed. I'm gone. And um, that's a shame. So I think we're all human employers are not like robots that know everything and everything's pre-programmed. It's a lot of it's learning as we're going, the business is evolving. And as an employee, look out for yourself, try to have those conversations in case everything's not plotted down. And then who knows out of it, nine times out of 10, it's an awesome conversation. And either something's immediately established or there's a goal post in mind, which is established where you as the employee can build up to it and the employer is happy, you know, and then having that conversation there. But please, please be, do not be afraid to talk about these things. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, Diana and Vivian for this fruitful discussion. Thank you so much as well to Art Daily for this tremendous opportunity and support, uh, support with the symposium. And also a big thank you to all the listeners. Roundtable discussions like these ones are held in this format every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central European time. You can save the day in your calendar and keep your eyes peeled here or on my social media for further announcements of future topics and guests. Please also go to www.disruptsymposium.com to reserve your seat for first to the 5th of May. That's when the big event is happening. At Disrupt Symposium, Vivian and Diana will give her key, their keynote. Um, Diana and Vivian will have a two-way debate on a topic of women in architecture, unpacking Ooh. this topic even more and giving valuable advice to our audience. Another similar topic on the, uh, uh, related to what we just discussed today is covered by Martha Darling, Amanda Lovett's business operation manager, who will speak about staff management and development. Uh, she will, of course, go more into the practical and operational perspective. So don't wait another day. Go to the website and get your ticket. We have only two weeks to go. www.disruptsymposium.com. See you all there and thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.